Yeah, see the numbers counting off there? Oh, oh. That shows that it's recording. The talking stick. The talking yeah, stick yeah, the has talk- been activated. So, so in it, I, I'm, uh, we've, we've hijacked. To hold it. Paul told me I get to hold it this time, but he's holding it even though he's driving. Yeah, I'm holding the microphone and drive. I've got, I'm going to do, I've hijacked Erica. Erica was trying to go home. I think hijacked would be in our, in my vehicle, and since it's your vehicle, it's technically kidnapping. Kidnapping, but you got into the vehicle voluntarily. Uh, I used nothing but the English language to rope you into going with me into town. This is uh, this is true, but doesn't necessarily make invalidate the charge of kidnapping in some situations. Uh, your argument's so weak. <laughs> yes, but I'm gonna back it up All with right. an Ernie. So we gotta we gotta. We <laughs> <laughs> I'm bigger than Ernie. <laughs> technically true but I think it, it and he's crippled it strengthens my argument which means he has an 11 foot reach but yeah that's true he's, <laughs> he does have those crutches to beat somebody with but we so. are further than 11 feet from Washington at the moment anyway yeah. this might right. make a nice little like lead into okay. the podcast well the key is is that it's like we need to wrap up on what, what all we did um, uh, in the second part of the rocket mass heater stuff and uh, we are, we're out of time and so this is the only opportunity that we have to squeeze in a podcast. So, um, uh, I'm going to hand the microphone thing over to you. you got to make sure that the numbers keep counting off. That's like the only trick with this. So now, there you are. You are now in control of this podcast. And it's still counting. Okay. Excellent. So, you arrived a day late. <laughs> We'd started the day before. Like, like, you arrived in the evening and we'd already been going at it. Yeah. Well, I mean, technically, you'd be going at it for almost a week at that point. Oh, right. We had two batches of folks coming out to, to, to be part of the experimenting going on with rocket mass heaters. So, um, but during, and then when you arrived, I basically took a back seat and, and you ran point. And um, the projects, it seems like okay, there's a lot done with uh, a shipable core. You and my brother Tim work a lot on pouring and mixing goo and exploring different kinds of goo to put into the shippable core. There was, there was that kind of thing. Then there was also stuff with the uh, the rocket mass heater in the auditorium, and then there was a bunch of cob-based stuff going on with the TV. Yep. I think nothing at all was done in the office. And there was there was something that happened before I got there. Do you want to talk about that before I get into what I saw? Wait, what, what do you have in mind? Because we just recorded just, a podcast about the four days, the first four days, because there's two four-day okay. chunks. Okay, so and did we, that one, at basically... At the end of the first four-day chunk, we recorded a podcast, and that okay. that's out now. Okay, um, but did it cover the day that they spent, the day that I was driving, when they were putting all that heat into the TV? Uh, no, that was okay. that was new. So then, but, but it was basically, that was started, I think. But yeah, the, the, when you arrived... There was a lot of work being done in putting lots and lots of heat into the teepee because um, the mass was frozen for the rocket mass heater. The mass was, like, really frozen. Like block of ice. Like, like yeah. Earth was hard as iron, that song, you know? Yeah. Uh, like that. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, they, so had a luckily, rocket, they had a pocket rocket going, the rocket mass heater going, and Tim had some kind of propane heater, you know, blazing in there. Yep. And uh, there was lots and lots of activity up there that day. Which I want to make sure it gets mentioned because it makes what happened the next day where everything started working 
like if it just was like I showed up and everything started working, that's mysterious and flattering. But the fact that they put a ton of heat into that bench and melted more than half of it so that it wasn't solid frozen when we started trying to get the heater to actually power itself uh, was a big factor. So, um, so the, I got here. Um, there was lots of exciting projects all wanting my attention at the same time. Uh, Tim was going great guns on his really solid mold. He's uh, He's got definitely a lot more chops than I do for mold making, even though I have lots more chops than I used to. Um, and uh, I, I got to tell my father-in-law I want him to teach me welding because I'm jealous now. Um, but so he had... It's pretty easy to do. He had, I would say, like he'd ordered parts and he'd gotten... Um, I don't know, 80 or 90 percent of the mold done by the time I showed up, and then we looked over the parts that still needed to be done that are kind of the more fiddly holes and things. How do you get that part to fit without getting stuck when you take things apart? Um, well, and I so give, we, we I checked my in on that. Tim, I give my brother Tim a list of like 150 things to do, and uh, number seven on the list, and they're in priority order. Number seven on the list is weld up this mold, and uh, and so of course. The thing that he does first is weld up the bolt because welding takes priority. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know, I don't I'll weld weld it up. Yeah, well, but uh, yeah, he's if it, if it involves welding, that's what he wants to do. So yeah. that's what. So yeah, when you arrived, it was all pretty much built. Yeah. No, and he had done a lot of nice things so that it came apart, and we caught a couple of things. We didn't catch one thing, so there's one part that got cast into the mold and had to be cut out. And, um, so there's like. Second, but this this mold is going to work again. We're going to change that one part, and that's about it. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's pick one. Let's let's start in chronological so, order. The highest priority is getting everything working up at the TV. Yeah. And so after checking in with Tim, and then once as soon as the TV crew got back from a mail run, we went up to the TV. Um, we started just by looking at what had happened since it got fired. The pocket rockets sitting on the TV bench had actually fired hot enough to turn, change the color of some of the clay and like ceramic harden it a little bit. Like, like it turned, made little red spots that were still there the next day as far as like where the brown clay had baked until it started turning a sort of a pinkish brick red kind of thing. Um, so that was really hot and uh, that put a lot of heat into the bench thanks to it being really hot. Um, and yeah, there, there. At that point, the bench wasn't warm. The next day, it was, it was cool or neutral to the touch, but it wasn't frozen. And the, at least in the parts closest to the heat, um, we, there were kind of two big jobs that needed to happen, and it, we're trying to decide what order to do them. One is getting the bench thawed, and the stove working, and the other was uh, getting more cob on the bench to finish out the heat capture detailing of the back of the bench. Um, and, and so I decided. Things, go ahead. One of the things we decided to, to, to just ditch. We're going to skip it for now, and um, uh, Emily and Tony can finish it in their own time. And that is the finish layers of cob. Yes. Let's just. We got rough cob in place. So now they've moved into the teepee. They're up there now. Yeah. But okay. Go they, ahead. They actually to... stripped the sheets off of their bed in the big house this morning. So like, not All only right. are they sleeping up there, they're like moving up there. <laughs> um, so I, I really felt like the uh, getting the mass dry so it would not freeze again was much more critical than finishing out the details that would make it a better heat sink because a frozen mass, while it's a really good heat sink, it's not one that's ever going to get warm. And we want a warm heat sink, so we need it to be dry. So right. we're, we're continuing to focus on getting it dry. Um, 
We started by shortening the path for the firebox just so I could see if the firebox itself was working. Remember, this is a core that they made. It's actually their first shippable core that they made in your Cobb style. Cobbish style with bits and pieces of other things in there. And I'd never, I'd seen pictures, but I hadn't seen inside it. So it's like if they missed the gap, if they calculated the gap off the rim instead of the heat riser or bottom of the barrel or whatever, you know, there's all kinds of things that could be wrong in there. But if I can get it to work right, then I can reassure myself that a lot of those things are fine. You know, so we stripped the flow back to the first clean out, the one that comes right out behind the core. And I had Emily fire it up and we practiced the firing technique a couple of times to get a better, because one of the issues there is it's an insulative heat riser, massive feed. So the feed can still be warm the next day where the heat riser isn't. Right. And so practice getting the heat riser primed so it was actively pumping the whole time as you started to fire the feed. Oh, and that's another thing is I showed you my technique for priming the pump. You are the second person I've seen stick everything in first and then light it, which usually leads to the kindling burning a little higher up than I like. But on the other hand, it's a lot easier to do and you get more tries without having to change what you're doing. But I think it did a little bit more than that. I mean, just, I think, am I not the first person you've seen with that technique for priming the pump? In terms of um, put the, the torch? paper, put the paper in first, then light the paper. So there is no fire that happens in the feed until after the pump is primed, which is pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we practice that sort of lighting technique, kind of the nuances of how, particularly how do you start a cold pump? And these super insulative heat risers with a brick feed on them give you a little bit of a disadvantage because your pump is always cold, even even though your backdraft chimney the, the feed may be a little bit warm right. so if you can start one of these which is sort of like a cold start every time you can have no problem if your heat riser and your feed are the same material um, so so we took a look at their core and got it fired up through a very short path like like as if we'd thrown a bypass on one of the bypass systems right um, and it did have some initial smoke which I think again is some of that starch that's in these insulin heat risers uh, I almost want to spend the extra to get one that they burned out in their kiln, just so we can see how those work without the starch fluffing in there every so often as it we reach a new temperature. It wasn't green smoke, was it? It was not green. It was uh, it was black initially, and then as it stabilized with the fire at that same temperature, the black cleared up. It was completely clear. We did. I I spent a large part of that day smelling the smoke periodically to see what was still left in it, which may have explained part of my fatigue the next day. Um, <laughs> But uh, it was, um, it had a little bit of that kind of plasticky turpentine smell and a little bit of that sour vinegar smell that you get that are some of the longer chain things in the wood smoke that's harder to break down. So it wasn't, it wasn't all the way to steam and CO2 at that point, but it was awful close. And as, as we went on through the day, it got to where it had almost no odor at all. Um, so the, the core was working. Okay. That was what we were able to establish with that. Um, then we went to put a chimney from the next clean-out, so the bench runs in a crescent, and then there's a double back for the, the, the end away from the heat source is the wide end with the bed. And so it, it goes like in a C, and then it makes another little hook like one of those weird French C's kind of. You know, before moving on to the next part, I, sure. I want to speculate a little bit about the smoke that you were smelling. I want to speculate that it was not the the riser. I, I think that that fire a fire has been put into that one so much because we burned it for 
probably eight to ten hours at the shop before it went up on the hill. So I okay. kind of feel like everything that you know that that part's burned out really good. If, if there's going to be anything, I think that it's going to be um, the new shortcut that you just added in. So you've got a very short run from the manifold to your new riser that's just outside the duct and that's and that's going to be um, um, stuff it's going to be material that is galvanized plus on top of that there's also inside the manifold that's using uh, clay perlite and wool so it could have been wool could, it could, could have been the tar on the pipes from the previous bad burns that was now getting burned off because it's the pipes the downstream true, pipes are true. And I also want to speculate the clay. I, I think that think I mean, our clay? clay is coming out of the ground. It's huh. not going to be a flawless clay. I think that there, there could be a other, bit of organic You bet. A little bit of organic matter possibly in it the clay. It really dense to me in a way that was consistent with what I'd seen from the soot on the starch before. But, right. yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to go to sort of generic organic matter responding to more heat. Yeah. <laughs> so these are these are the things. So. I, I, I think that the riser is probably pretty pretty clean now okay that's wonderful because that'll that'll shorten their frustration path um yeah the uh now, I, I derailed what you're yeah. gonna do huh right. <laughs> okay so we did that um you said c-shape so the bench is, is like a c-shape um and if the uh the top of the c is where the the rocket combustion part is the bottom of the sea is where the second, so first clean-out's right behind the barrel, second clean-out's like at the bottom of the sea, uh, and then there's this sort of little wiggle where it goes back down and back to make three runs in the bed part, and that's, so the third so outlet, the bottom part of the sea is fat. So bottom part of the sea is all fat. there's a bed there. Almost like a G. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so we... You still figured the bottom part of the bed, the back of it was a part that hadn't really gotten heated up yet because you can't really put a pocket rocket there because there's a teepee there. Um, <laughs> and so so we uh, we routed it to, as if it had just been a simple C, we routed the exhaust out that second clean out and just sort of cut off the back loop on that bench. Okay. Um, and while we were doing that, we noticed that the existing, they, they put a chimney up, stringing it like kind of parallel to the poles of the teepee and out the top um, and it was upside down the orientation where it drools condensation down and they were not liking that very much and we then we realized they would like it even less once there was a bed underneath it <laughs> and then I spit upon you as you sleep just in case they kept the vertical chimney and you ended up with it in pictures not having one that was upside down and covered in drool brown drool seemed like it would be better for the pictures um and uh also i mean that's one of those things if you put a chimney on something there's plenty of people that know what a chimney's supposed to look at and if you're going to have them look at something weird doing the part they know correctly is a big uh factor in terms of just anybody's trust for what you're telling them um so we did the chimney as right as we could with the parts available we used black stove pipe coming down from the roof so that if you wanted to you'd make the whole thing so you go all black stove pipe pretty easily um, and I realized I bought the black stovepipe to be used for the first five feet inside the mass. Yes. Because the black stovepipe does better with the higher temperatures than anything galvanized. Yes. And anytime we see smoke, I don't like ever, ever seeing that green smoke. Yes. That green smoke is utterly and completely unacceptable to me, and I want to get that. I want to never see it again. And I should have spec stovepipe tees for that 
purpose because that would be the first clean out after each of these manifolds. We kind of ignored everything that you spec'd. And so next time, send us a list rather than lovely. The drawings you sent were beautiful. The drawings were like, they had questions on them. And I was supposed to get answers to the questions. But rather than like looking at my drawings again and being like, oh, I should call them and ask these questions now that they haven't answered for a month and a half. I was like, well, I know that they're an important client. So I'm going to watch really closely for emails from them while I handle these three other clients. So sorry about that. That was a lot of stuff that could have been done better. A lot of communication breakdown, but everything worked out rather well anyway. But all right. Drooly pipes. So we reversed the drooly stove pipe so that it won't drool on the bed. And we hooked it up to the. Oh, wait. It's big Tony. Tony will say, huzzah. Awesome. That's what he says. Cool. And Emily's like, smile. Yeah, she smiles quietly. She's got a great smile, though. OK, so we hooked it up that way. And I think I carefully capped and sort of tilted down the first clean-outs chimney so that we did a gradual transition to it going out the tall chimney. And it worked pretty well. And it continued to draw. The stove continued to draw with that chimney in place, even though it was fairly cool at that point. It wasn't a hot vertical chimney. And so we're starting to get enough heat through the bench that it's not forming cold traps. And just taking a little bit of drag off of it while it's still drying out that bench. So that also boosted my confidence in that core. Like, that seems OK. If that can push through that much while it's still wet, then probably be able to hook it up to the whole thing eventually. I think we still haven't hooked it up to the whole thing yet. But we did set up pocket rockets again. And we set up the propane heater on the back part, the part that's currently like this sort of spare run in the back of the bed, just trying to get it all thawed out. So now that was your first day. So that was our first day. And now we came back down. And you said it sounded boring. And we must have, like, done something else. And all of the people involved were like, we didn't sit down once. It was, like, pretty much full on moving things around and figuring out how to hook things to things, whatever. Well, now, one of the things that I was suggesting is that when they put the fire into the rocket mass heater, that rather than feeding in the wood that you normally feed in, which is usually about wrist size, is I was saying, make it kindling size. So make it finger size. Yeah. And then because that'll burn hotter and faster. And you'll have to reload it over and over and over again, but hotter. Yeah. It'll be hotter. And so then it'll be more likely to dry the bench out. Yeah. You can do that. One caveat is that the kindling burns down to coals. And then the coals have a certain amount of time they need to burn. And you can fill it too full where it fills up with coals and actually fills the burn tunnel with coals. And then it chokes. And then that's frustrating. Yeah. It does help that you have sticks handy and you can poke a hole in it with a stick that lets the air through the coals. That's a good technique to know about. If that happens to you, it's not the end of the world. But it can sure feel that way when you're not sure what to do. So, yeah. So, yeah, getting dry wood. They were starting to get the importance of dry wood. They did actually build an improvised woodshed up there one of the days that I was helping Tim. Oh, yeah. We spent a half an hour arguing about what kind of woodshed to build. In which time, I think, was about as much time as they spent on the woodshed they put up. That's one of the things I'm probably going to post on Fermi soon is, like, I want as many. I want to design competitions for woodsheds you can build in under an hour. Because I think that's a big stopping point. People are like, I know I need a woodshed, but I don't have time or I can't buy the lumber or I whatever. 
And so I'm going to put this wood under a tarp to show that I know I need a woodshed and make sure it stays exactly as damp as it is now. <laughs> and it's just like that. It's not a woodshed, dude. Right. That's that's a wood. We're running spill. out of time. Okay. Um, okay. So, uh, so that's what happened at the teepee on the first day that I was up there. And then I think we sent them back up there. Oh, and the next day we got the excavator running for like four minutes and broke up the entire volume of cob that people had been picking at with toothpicks the day before. <laughs> uh, oh, and we had picked a toothpick. Pickaxes. Sorry, pickaxes. So um, much different than toothpicks. Yes, but yes. Um, we had mortared the bricks around the feed tube because there were some cracks in there that were giving them some problems like... Any oh. extra air makes it so it's easier for them. Well, they just back. had loose bricks to complete the, the wood feed, which is a common thing when you're getting started. Yeah, and, and it looked and like they tried to seal it with clay, and that didn't that doesn't quite do it. If you're going to seal things with clay, it helps if you have like two to four inches of masonry backing it up. It's, it's hard to get a good seal with clay on something that's just a freestanding joint, yeah. especially if you're bumping it with wood all the time. So clay's not glue. It's, uh, it's like clay mortars or liquid shims it's like stuff that helps stuff hold it has to hold itself up yeah it, it's, it'll crack i mean basically clay alone will crack yep. but clay mixed with sand is makes mortar which will be less likely to crack far less likely yeah. probably yeah. won't crack generally yeah yeah uh, in fact I, in my experience which is admittedly i've used very few of the refractory mortars because i like clay uh, but i think the clay is maybe slightly less likely to crack than the refractory mortars if you have a good design, the refractory mortar cracks as much as it's going to crack, and that's how it does it. And if you've got a good design that's not moving the stuff, the clay actually is more similar to the brick and how it expands with heat. You can you can do things that don't crack with clay. Um, so, anyway, uh, so that was the first day. Second day, we broke up some cob and got it staged out so that it won't freeze back into a solid lump, and they will be able to work on cob once the bench is dry. Then they can add small amounts of wet material and dry it out and add more like that. Okay. And then Tony's been keeping a fire in there quite a lot, yeah, warming yeah. it up a lot, and uh, I don't think it's still gotten fully dried out. Um, no, you know, and, and I think it's good to, to point out there's a difference between trying to dry out the mass versus trying to heat up the mass when it's been very cold. And yep. and we're like this is this is swimming upstream. Yeah, yeah. Normally we, this something like this should have been completed in the summer or like maybe a warmer part of the fall. And then immediately afterwards, it goes into production. It's immediately being used a lot, and that yep. would have dried it out. And it would have been yep. just—you're burning a lot of wood for the first month just to dry out the mass and heat the house. And and what we're trying to do is is like we we got it built and it was wet, and then we went on to other projects, namely the Wafati projects. Then uh, Emily and Tony went away for two weeks uh, to be a family over the holidays. And then it's like you come back, and it's like some of the coldest temperatures have been seen in three years, and it's like, uh oh. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. Generally, the traditional time to build with cob is in the spring, so your stuff is nice and dry by the time you want it to be warm. So, um, just you know, stuff we kind of knew but did it anyway. Really, for for the most part, it's just sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. So, um, Priority but shifted. It's um, yeah. The family that's living in the Wapati has shelter, and so do Emily and Tony. And I think Tony moved up there. It was that second night that I got yeah. here. It was that night. He's like, okay, it will run. I can run it. I'm going to run it till 2 in the morning. Right. 
Right. And so he just kept putting heat in it. So they've been doing that a lot more consistently and realizing that, you know, the more heat it's got in it, the faster that thermal flywheel is already working for you, then the less hard it is to get it going when you light it up again. Okay. Let's talk about the rocket mass heater at the shop. Okay. Rocket mass heater at the shop, I don't, I think we, I worked with Tim a little bit more before we did that. That was my thing I did after we got the. So you've got 10 minutes to finish this podcast. Okay. Rocket mass heater at the shop was 43 inches tall heat riser because it was mismeasured. It was measured outside instead of inside the heat riser. And so it was too short. And combined with a number of other problems, which we have discussed previously, that was a problem. Um, and so what we did was found a, you guys had cast some little rings for heat riser size parts, and we had also um, some leftover cut barrels, and so we just did the very minor cutting on barrel, mortared a couple of rings on below the existing, and, uh, and I unfortunately used a great deal of the tape you dislike, and stuck it together and fired it off, and it drafted enormously better, but the unfortunately part comes in that it drafted hot enough to move heat far enough down the barrel, farther than I've seen it before, although Ernie kind of laughed at me for not anticipating it because he's seen it before, uh, that we melted the adhesive on that tape that's rated for 300 degrees. <laughs> All over stinky, like like when your five-year-old and you're just teaching your three-year-old how to play with nail polish, like that kind of smell all through the auditorium. <laughs> and I don't, I want to get yeah. rid of all that tape. Okay. Oh, you know. Um. So yeah, tape not appropriate for that taller heat riser, and I think Tim's gonna weld us up something, <laughs> which will be a ring so we can actually dry fit the barrel on a piece of gasket and have it actually just be like what it's supposed to be so um but i'm really hoping that all of the adhesive comes off while he's welding because that's the easiest way i can think of to get that melted on adhesive off the barrel at this point Um, so that's one thing i can do is take take that apart again and get it ready for him to weld it together but i think the height we we built it up to a 58 and a half inch heat riser with a two and a quarter inch gap so it's it's 10 inches longer than what is the bare minimum so a lot of our systems are using the bare minimum heat riser height, 48 inches, for a 16-inch wood feed. Yep. That's the bare bones minimum. And so now, this will be the only one with a 58-inch riser. Now, for the for the test burn, to see if it worked okay, what happened? Uh, first, I had you guys go outside, and I, I had put a short chimney on it. I put, like, a 6-foot chimney, would you say? Maybe 7 on the outside because it was it's that uh, upwind side of your building. I would say it was a four foot, but okay, it was yeah. two sections of insulated pipe and a T. Okay. Uh, on what was coming out of the wall, and I wanted to have that warmed up so that we were at least not blowing ashes in my face while I was trying to light it with the wind coming from that direction. Um, and you were very nice and participated in the use of a very short vertical chimney. Um, and. Uh, dropped a piece of flaming paper down it to kind of plain prime it a little bit right um and well you were then you had to run back inside because we only had the one lighter yeah and uh, <laughs> i need to carry fire um and, i bought more uh, propane torches because cool. i gotta tell you those those propane torches that ignite by pulling the trigger they are awesome and the fuel form is ridiculously cheap cool so i want one of those relatively clean i want one of those fire pistons that actually works that's what i want something I can carry in my pocket and forget about for a year and have it still work when I pull it out. Okay. So, 
get very different. Go ahead, go, go ahead. All right. Okay, so... What um, was the result? Result was very rockety. Uh, it was actually, because I mortared the feed tube up to the full 16 inches, um, it had some wet clay mortar on it still. I'd, I'd done two runs of bricks around there. And, um, oh, and we'd also stuck, because we were afraid the barrel might be losing too much heat before it hit the bench, like that might be part of why the bench wasn't heating up, I had just wrapped a sheet of insulation around it with some metal around that to just see if we didn't lose quite so much heat from the barrel if that made the bench warmer. As it happened, we didn't run the fire long enough to see what was going on because we started smelling the tape melting. Right. Um, but, so yeah, so when we lit it off, um, I actually had trouble lighting it because I would light a piece of tissue paper on fire and then it would roll down the burn tunnel like a tumbleweed and I couldn't put the kindling on it. Which, and why did it roll? Because it was drawing really hard. It was like, already, it was, the rockiness was already rockety. It yeah, was like, like I put one piece under there to prime the heat riser and then like by the time I was starting to try to get the kindling lit, little pieces of paper would roll back down there and continue to prime the heat riser and not stay to be lit, lighting my kindling. So it took me a couple of tries because it had that much draft. It was working that good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so actually your method where you're priming, where, where your, your paper is on top of the stack, so it's kind of more like the, the standard fire where your paper is underneath the kindling for a, a right side up fire. It's, uh, it's an upside down, right side up fire rather than an upside down, upside down fire. <laughs> um, go look up Kiko's candle style fire or the upside down fire somewhere if you don't know what I'm talking no, about. No, I, I, I took video of Kiko uh, starting a cob oven the yeah. right way with his technique. Yeah. And I've just not done anything with that footage. Yeah. And um, and my, my apologies to Kiko Denzer, who, by the way, is a seriously cool guy. He's, he's it's like awesome. Around, it's like, this guy is just cool. Yeah. No, he's, he's just, like... He's made it his mission in life to make sure that books that are really useful stay in print. And so when he can get the rights, he'll put old books back in print. Or he's got one of his mother's that's like one of my favorite hands-on kids' activity books ever. It's like, just, it's called Making Things. And it's like hundreds of Making Things activities. Anyway, he's he's very cool. And he's good at ovens. And uh, he also is good at fire. So I, I regret that I have not yet put out that video. So, yeah, well... Kiko probably doesn't listen to the podcast, but if if the message gets out, Kiko, I'm sorry. Well, I just gave him a set of drawings for his masonry heater hat that goes on top of a wood stove, um, which has a tiny little oven in it because ovens are really his thing. Um, so he's going to put that up on his website at Handprint Press. So we'll yeah. just send him some kudos that way. Right, um, moving along. Okay. Uh, I think we're done with so, um, that rocket mass heater. Yeah, it drafted really well. I'm sorry I put tape on it, and we're fixing it. Okay. <laughs> um, Tim's uh, uh, shippable core. Shippable core, um, wonderfully stout forms that he made using a lot of welding. Uh, I'm happy to say that I was able to actually give him one piece of advice that he used, and that made our lives easier. Uh, because he pretty much knows what he's doing when it comes to casting concrete, but I did spot one or two things that, you know, it was nice working with him. I think if, if you give Tim advice and he takes it, I think that's really high praise. It's, it's extremely flattering, I've <laughs> got to say, because he's very competent at most of what he does. Um, and if he's not, he gets there quickly. So, um, so yeah, so we... He kept working on that till he was ready to go, and then we recruited a bunch of people for an after-dinner casting session. I was teasing him about he'd have to recalculate the numbers for trying to make a business out of it because you have to pay people overtime to cast things between like 8 p.m. and midnight, and that's when all of these things seem to need to be cast. 
<laughs> but uh, we had a group of people that were very willing, like uh, Emily would take the perlite and mix it with water and crush it up in a tarp a little bit so it'd be a little smaller aggregate size and put it in bins pre-stage, one batch worth in each bin. Um, and uh, the other guys that were there, uh, Bill and um, the other Tim, uh, Tim, I guess I shouldn't say his last name on a podcast. Oh, yeah. You know who you are. All right. Um, well, I probably already did, but never mind. Yeah, well. Yeah. Anyway, so we would, uh, they would, they were hand shredding fiberglass gasket to make fiberglass aggregate and also measuring the goop and the uh, the water. And so we, we received were, a big package of that fiberglass stuff that's already all cut up into pieces. That seems like it'll probably work way better. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, um, plus it's kind of a pity to use the gasket, which is useful for the things. So. Right. Um, so, yeah, so we did try putting a little bit of fiberglass gasket-based chopped insulation in this, and we couldn't see that we got much out of it because it was clumping. But, um, so, yeah, we just mixed batch after batch and filled it up, and it took four batches. And um, they were the size of batch that we used 20 liters of perlite. So for folks that are looking at my notes, then you'll know what, we, what amount of stuff went in there. Um, I, I think a good thing is that we have now announced... Uh, the uh, the innovators event in September of 2014, which you know kind of came about from the idea that when you and Ernie come out here, and we don't even have a workshop going on, but there's a bunch of people who also come out to kind of be your minions while you're here, be your lab rats. Then it's kind of like now you guys can innovate faster because you've got a bunch of people helping you move things forward. Yeah. Well, and the fact that you give us toy, toys to play with while we're doing that is also a huge help. So, yeah, we've, so. we have now accumulated a whole lot of Rocket Mass Heater Experimenters tools and materials. Yeah. And uh, plus, you know, like, like when, when these innovators moments are going on, I, uh, my brother Tim is available, and then he, he helps out with all the welding and a lot of stuff. Yeah. And um, uh, but then there's a lot of people who show up who have pretty mad skills, and and then they and they all help out and everything moves forward in leaps and bounds. So um, I think that this relationship has been something that has turned out to be really good for both the innovators as well as the lab rats. Yeah. No, it's everybody's. I mean, people are putting in incredibly long hours, hours that you would not be happy to put in at most day jobs. Let's just put it that way. Um, and they're going home grinning because they had such a good time. Um, and the food's good. How's oh, the food been? The food is fabulous. Uh, I keep feeling guilty because I'm not doing anything and wonderful food keeps appearing. But, uh, yeah, it's, I mean. So thank you, Jocelyn. Yeah. <laughs> And Deborah. Deborah, yeah. And, uh, it seems the... like every time we have somebody else like in the kitchen and like cranking it out, and and of course everything is organic or better. We yep. are very picky. Yeah, no, it's fabulous. It's delicious food. Um, yeah. So. So yeah, so we just did and started at eight eight thirty or so after dinner and poured until I think about midnight. And then a couple of us stayed a little longer and worked on that, the shop auditorium heater that we just told you about. And then um, <laughs> one of the guys was so jazzed that he wanted to stay up another hour talking about <laughs> rocket mass heaters and stuff. Yeah. So, like, we sat up whispering over coffee because I kind of feel like that's part of what they come for is a chance to, like, 
geek out with people they've heard on podcasts. So. Right. Um, right. We should get more of them on podcasts so they want to talk to each other. <laughs> so, they, you know, and, and that's, the, I mean, the, the meals are, are packed with people talking about permaculture and rocket mass heaters and all the stuff. Oh, man. And they, I mean, some of the backstories, I really do think, I mean, the more people I meet and then I'm finding you're doing podcasts with people because they do have, you know, five or 10 or 20 or 40 years of experience in a particular field that's, that's super useful for this whole goal of how do we live better. Right. And, and then better, I mean, it's like there's so many angles on what better is that, you know, we haven't even considered. And a lot of people are bringing in these um, other little perspectives of better that it's like, wow, we never even never even thought of that. No, and I think a lot of the things that come into innovation, like in the rocket mass heaters, come from, like, um, a, a larger collection of knowledge of things outside of rocket mass heaters. And it's kind of like, wow, I didn't, I didn't know. I had I'd never thought of that. We, that. That makes so much sense now. Yeah. No, so. these are these are consistently people who care about something larger than themselves. And True. that just makes such a huge difference in I mean what your will what amount of energy you're willing to put into your life. It, and it's not selfish energy for the most part. It's just like how much can I give? You so know, where can I give it now? Um, we, we had somebody who had a lot of experience working with uh, high temperature ceramics and um, uh, you know was sharing a lot of that knowledge and there were there were a few bits and bobs that I did not know and um, talking about the different kinds of goo that could go into this and and uh, but all right we're, 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 we've got like three minutes left I want to emphasize that we are going to do a rocket mass heater innovators event there will be a um, standard rocket mass heater workshop uh, will allow 25 students um, and then there will be five days of innovation and then there'll be an advanced rocket stove workshop and uh, then another five days of innovation so um, uh, plus the other thing that we announced is that on July 1st then you and Ernie will announce who you think are the four top innovators and then um, they will be invited to come and attend and be and play the role of innovators so then the idea is that during the innovator weeks we will allow 12 lab rats to be um, so we'll have six innovators, a total of six innovators, and twelve lab rats at the at uh, during those periods, during yeah. those two five day periods, and, and um, we'll see what we come up with. Yeah, and we're emphasizing innovator, not necessarily people who have gotten really good at building a standard rocket mass heater, which is a valuable skill, um, but we're talking about people who've been trying new things consistently and and could, and are persistent enough to, to find new things that work. Um, and because that's the kind of um, innovation that, particularly that, that Paul's hoping to get to where we can get these from being a thing that people tinker with and that if people love them enough they can learn how to make them and make them work to something that's really a household item that why would you not have one of those because you're, you know, like to chop wood. <laughs> stop burning so damn much wood, or stop stop sucking up all the energy resources of the planet. Well, oh, yeah. that's right. You're like you're really pro fracking, and you think it's frustrating that that we want to diminish your local economy by making it so that it can last forever. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Um, what else? Anything else? Uh, yeah, that's pretty much what happened. And then um, I caught up with email from lots of people who are cold and want advice. Uh, and um, then I slept a lot. <laughs> 
Well, and, and of course, when people ask questions, then the place to do it is at Permies. And, um, and then don't, don't forget the 48 hour rule. If you don't, if you ask a question at permies.com and you don't receive an excellent answer within 48 hours, post out of the tinkering forum and, and invoke the 48 hour rule. And I think we've been very good at getting those questions answered. Yeah. I also pay a little bit more attention to my private moosages. What are they? Purple moosages? Purple moosages. Uh, so I'm, since I'm the moderator on the Rocket Stove Forums, I'm one of the moderators. Um, you can purple moosage me directly, uh, and if, especially if it's the answer you want is something you think I'd be able to answer. Um, and I'll respond you know, as soon as I can. Okay. Um, so yeah, either way, you just let somebody let somebody know that it's been 48 hours. I've, I've, we've even responded where people got like five responses from people that are good, and they're like, "I want a response from this person. Are they available?" <laughs> right. You know, well, that's that's a little bit of a stretch. But if you haven't gotten any responses, you haven't got a response that directly addresses your question, then well, we'll get somebody on it who knows what they're talking. And about. that's why we asked folks to post to the tinkering forum and invoke the 48-hour rule because what we'll do is if it's a rocket mass heater question or a rocket stove question then we'll um, the staff will make sure to contact you and Ernie you know to draw your attention to it yeah. um, but then it's also plausible that other people will go and pay attention to it also who also have very I mean, we've got some people out there that are not you and Ernie that have amazing knowledge in this space and are doing yeah. amazing innovations yeah no and, two of yeah. the sort of founding researchers, I would say, are, are regularly participating on the Permis forums, too. Oh, yeah. Um, Donkey's out there. I see Don- him. Donkey and Ernie are kind of Kirk. contemporaries, and then uh, uh, Peter Vandenberg came in a little later, but he's he's very good. He's also got some masonry heater experience, mm-hmm. and he's been putting a lot of cool tricks together. He, he's got cool toys <clears throat> where he can measure this clean thing ah. that I use my nose to measure, because he's smart. And Matt Walker has been out there a lot. Yeah, and he's doing some amazing... Yeah, he, I think he was the first one to get his hand on some of that ceramic glass, like he found some on eBay and made rocket mass heaters where you could see the fire from the side. I, I like the idea that the, I mean, the dragon heater people seem to be out there. I, I mean, so often it seems like I, I, I'm in disagreement with a lot of the dragon heater stuff, but but the fact that they're participating in Permies, I, I have great hope that that eventually, you know, we will develop an excellent relationship with the dragon heater people. Yeah, and, and I think they're getting it more like what Permies is about as far as like, um, responding to what people are actually asking on the threads and stuff like that. They, yeah. do, they do have a product they want to sell, but they're also being useful about making, like I, they made a suggestion about whether to use uh, ducts or make a bell. You know, one of the other things Matt Walker's done is demonstrate simple ways to make a bell, like just a big void that you can heat up instead of using the ducting. Um, so it's like they're making useful responses that aren't necessarily selling their stuff. So that's okay. nice to see. It's time. If you like this sort of thing, Come on out to the forums at permies.com, where we talk about rocket mass heaters, homesteading, and permaculture all the time.